This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing the best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget you can listen live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1, on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or on your Times Radio app. Or, of course, you can listen on Apple Podcasts. Someone called Ankle Mania has been in touch. Says, Redbox is part of my daily listening diet. I'm mainly leaving with you because Matt Chorley always asks his listeners to. Anyhow, I'm a great fan of Mr. Chorley and all his works and listen to his podcast pretty much every day, especially the columnist part, which is always entertaining. I urge you to do the same. Happy, Matt? Yes, I am. Always happy. Do let us know what you think about the podcast. You can email me, matt at times.radio, or better still, post a review on uh, the Apple podcast thing, because it's good for the charts or something. Right, coming up on today's episode, we ask, why are Tory voters from 2019 switching to the Labour Party? We know they're switching. We asked YouGov to ask them why they switched. We've got some exclusive polling, which shows it's more to do with the Tories than it is to do with Labour. That's coming up in just a moment. But good news for Ankle Mania. We kick off with The Columnists. of politics without the boring bits. Get ready for blockbuster debate on Times Radio. One is the wise voice of experience. The other, the young genius learning from the master. Together they are Finkelstein and Zeffman. Daniel Finkelstein and Henry Zeffman on Times Radio. He's the greatest. He's fantastic. Go then, play that tune. What's this? Some sort of Disney... Is it Hercules or something? Nope. Danger Mouse? Very good. Just in time. We ought to have been keeping score on this. (laughs) I'm on zero. I can tell you that. Can I just say, Matt, I've never... Nothing weird has ever happened to me going to the gym. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) So this is is, uh, Jill Biden at Chartamurti went to a soul cycle exercise session after the coronation, but that's never... No, I've, you, not, I've never been with either of them to the gym. I, uh, I, I, I briefly went to the same gym as Keir Starmer's father-in-law. So there you go. <laughs> uh, around the time he got selected as the MP for Hoban and St Pancras, something I discovered when the nice man who used to read the print independent on the exercise bike uh, announced that his son-in-law had just <laughs> been selected to be the local MP. <laughs> so there you go. Wow. That's my gym story. I mean, I'm not sure you could sell that. Uh, sort of content. But I don't know. Wait, <laughs> Watch Times Radio try. <laughs> Get that on the socials. 
Oh, all right, now, now, you've, now you've mentioned uh, Keir Starmer. Let's start with him then. Uh, and uh, the fallout of the local elections. Now we want to talk about the next election. Are we going to be hearing a lot more of this? I would be urging people to vote Labour across the country. I've never been in favour of gaming the electoral system. Really? At the last election, there were calls for us to stand aside in certain seats where we actually ended up overtaking the Liberal Democrats and doing much better. The reason for that is because in the end, at the next general election, there's going to be two choices for who forms the next government. We can carry on with more of this drift and decay and decline with the Conservatives, or we can vote for change with Labour. That was the uh, Shadow Cabinet Minister Lisa Nandy talking to Times Radio Breakfast. We thought that was a bit familiar. Here's a reminder of how much this sort of speculation can end up dominating politics. And if you don't get in next week, are you definitely not going to join forces with the SNP? We're not going to have a coalition with the SNP, no. No deals. Look, you know, the what SMP... happens if you're teetering on a knife edge then? Mm. How, how are you going to make this work? And we've asked this question to, mm. to all of, of the other leaders that we've talked to. How are you going to make it work? Well, look, I want a majority Labour government. It's right. unlikely you'll get one. It, it, you know, th let's see what happens. But the thing I would say is, whatever happens, I'll put forward my proposals in my manifesto. That was Ed Miliband back in 2015 on This Morning with Phil and Holly getting a right grilling. Um, are we heading for a hung parliament, first of all, Danny? It's not obvious at all because there was an awful lot of tactical voting, uh, whatever Lisa and Andy may have said. Um, and, you know, I think that'll persist. It, it, while the motivating force in politics is, as it is now, um, vote against the Conservatives, get rid of the Conservatives, so the Conservatives can't uh, mute that more than they have, uh, then that will be important at the next general election, whatever anybody says about discouraging it. Uh, I, I do think going round and round the subject and making assumptions is a bit pointless. I was on Newsnight a couple of days before uh, the, the same election and I was with... The, I was in 2015 and it was... I was with David Gork and Evan Davis kept pressing David Gork on what he would do in a hung parliament. David Gork said the Conservatives would get a majority. Evan Davis said, don't be ridiculous and this is exactly what politicians always do. You won't answer my question... And of course, afterwards, Evan very kindly sent him a note, actually, saying how sorry he was that he impressed him uh, on that in that way. But actually, although, you know, we can get too, it can take up too much airtime, it's still pretty important. Uh, uh, however, in the case of Labour and the Liberal Democrats, if the Labour Party uh, had to govern with the Liberal Democrats uh, as the as a another party in Parliament, why would it make any concessions to them at all? And why would it even be a cause of instability any more than um, any group of MPs is when you've got a majority? So I, I'm not um, convinced. I think with the, with the Scottish Nationalists, there's a different matter because they would call for a referendum and they, I suppose, could pull out on a, on a UK government that didn't give them a referendum and that would be a sense of source of destabilisation. But the Liberal Democrats have got no negotiation position at all. I think that's the really relevant difference with 2015. There's a few different uh, factors, but I think the really relevant difference is that 2015, what the Conservatives were saying about Ed Miliband's Labour is that they would be in hoc to Alex Salmond. And that was just, what, nine months after the Scottish independence referendum had been the main news story throughout the UK. So people knew who Alex Salmond was, you know, in parts of the UK at least, knew that they didn't like him, that he wanted to break up the UK, that that was a looming threat. And it played into this idea of Ed Miliband being weak as well. So it all sort of came together as a coherent argument. And also, the Conservatives being coalition had delivered five years of fairly stable government so it was a sort of genuine contrast they could offer you know this time round if rishi sunak tries to make that argument against keir starmer 
Um, firstly, Keir Starmer can just say, well, hang on, how can you accuse us of chaos after what's happened under your majority government, minority government, small majority government, you know, actually the most stable government the Conservatives have delivered since 2010 was in a coalition with yeah. the Liberal Democrats. Um, but the other point, exactly as Danny alludes to, is you know, there's something a bit different between Ed Miliband in Alex Salmon's pocket or, you know, don't vote for Keir Starmer because he might give Ed Davey more money to remove sewage from the rivers. I just don't think it. I don't think it will quite have the same purchase. You won't. And it's actually interesting. A bit later on, we're going to hear from Stephen Bush um, uh, talking about the Labour Party and the, the polling that we've got. And he he says actually Keir Starmer might rather be in coalition with Ed Davey than being in coalition with John McDonnell with a, a small Labour majority in hock to the hard left. That actually David Cameron found it much easier in government with Nick Clegg than he did with a very small majority and, and everything that unfolded after that. You have to be in coalition with both, right? So during David Cameron's government, he had the support both of the Liberal Democrats and of the right of the Conservative Party. And if either of those groups had abandoned him, he wouldn't have a majority. So I don't actually think it's going to be a choice. You know, if you're the Prime Minister, you're going to have to balance those things. But the Liberal Democrats are often not a balance to the to any part of the left. Uh, insofar as they will put pressure on the uh, Labour Party, which isn't much, it'll be to go further on things um, and to... M- you know, sort of try to leap over Labour and looking virtuous and looking like they're on the left. That, that we can see how it will work because it happens all the time in the House of Lords. Um, when the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats vote together, the Conservatives can never win. Um, and But sometimes the Liberal Democrats decide they're going to vote against something that the Labour Party merely abstains on. And in those, on those votes, the, the government does win. So um, the, the Liberal Democrats will be in a position where it's very rarely the case that they share the conservative view against the Labour government. Most of the time it'll be, most of the time they'll probably be in coalition with John McDonnell making a bit more trouble for Keir Starmer. And I think that speaks to one really important change between the 2010-2015 period of, you know, the last time the Liberal Democrats were a major force and now, which is that um, the Liberal Democrats are now avowedly an anti-Tory party. And you've seen this in Ed Davies. You know, Sir Ed Davey, who is a knight for his stint as a cabinet minister in the Conservative Liberal Democrat coalition. But you've seen this in Ed Davies' comments since Thursday. They are the alternative to the Tories in parts of the country where Labour are not an alternative to the Tories. Yeah. So you don't have that sort of equidistance or, you know, wherever you want to put them on the spectrum that you previously had with the Liberal Democrats. People voting for the Liberal Democrats at the general election will be voting for... Keir Starmer ultimately to be Prime Minister. And and I think that takes us back to an important question about interpreting the local election results. So the, the John Curtis view, uh, you know, and guru John Curtis, is that, uh, you know, Labour did very well, but because of the, because their uh, vote share stood broadly still compared to last year's locals, um, and it was the Liberal Democrats who mostly advanced, um, that, that means that Keir Starmer, you know, is unlikely to get a majority. Um, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm sure that's true, but I'll just add a sort of grace note to that, which is that um, I, I think, I think what, what the local elections showed um, is a willingness on the part of the you know, vast numbers of, of people who are not currently Conservative supporters to vote for whoever the local alternative to the Conservatives is. And that means the Labour vote, yes, it's not at 40%, it's at 35%, but it is more efficient than it's been at any point since the sort of late Blair period. They're not piling up votes in cities anymore. This is the result of several years of deliberate Conservative strategy designed to lose power. And and this strategy is to try to unite everybody else against you when you don't have uh, enough 
um, most of the time to form majority government. Um, and because you did once, because Jeremy Corbyn was the leader of the Labour Party, making coalitions with other parties very difficult, and Brexit was an issue. But the this the strategy that the Conservative Party has embarked on, which Rishi Sunak is only partially unravelling, which is to try to um, to swivel the Conservative body to win red wall seats uh, and to um, to antagonise others as being part of a sort of metropolitan elite that uh, dr- drifted away from the uh, majority view of the country when these are kind of middle-class architects living in Hartsmere and who haven't got any <laughs> political... Uh, view at all um that strategy you know is is suicidal and i and i and i've been trying to say this for quite a long time um it is a realignment that will work for a little bit but is ultimately you know potentially fatal for the conservative party and certainly keep, keep them out of power for longer than it keeps them in and so these local election results you know people said oh they were very bad for the conservatives but quite good for labor there isn't such a thing right if they're bad for the conservatives that means it's good for the center left right and the center left can be called labor it can be called liberal democrats it's basically the center left and the conservatives cannot win unless it's good for the conservatives <laughs> and and um in any anything else is not good for them so but my view is that um my view is that these local elections were wor- were worse than they looked um and they look really bad um <laughs> and um that that what they're suggesting is uh defeat almost where, any, where anyone can impose it, which is a deliberate choice the Tory party has made. Um, you know, they've deliberately unified a part of the Liberal centre with the centre-left, um, assuming that because they, last time, the set, that that sort of Liberal centre voted with them because of Jeremy Corbyn, it would go on doing so, but that's obviously not going to happen. And I suppose that's the big the big difference between twenty between now or you know next year and twenty ten. So in twenty ten there was a realistic prospect that the Lib Dems could go with either Labour or the Conservatives, albeit the Labour numbers were really tough. But it gave them some purchase and it gave them you know, they played them off each other and it they got a lot of concessions from the Conservatives. Were they to hold the balance of power next time around, the Lib Dems aren't going to say to Kirsten, well, I could put Rishi Sunak back in government. That's not... So, on the one hand, uh, they might... And the other thing is, uh, I think they're on the record as saying that their, their their red line for going into a coalition would be to demand proportional representation. And it's not clear that Keir Starmer's ready for that either. I think a point that is just not sufficiently appreciated in Westminster is that a hung parliament in almost any configuration I can conceive of equals Keir Starmer as Prime Minister. Yeah. So when Conservatives or commentators say, ah, oh, but Keir Starmer didn't do well enough in these local elections to be sure of a Blair-style majority, by which they're actually saying Keir Starmer didn't do enough in these local elections to, to display himself as the greatest electoral alchemist, you know, to, to sort of, you know, person, person capable of swinging support on the level of sort of uh, Eastern European dictator. I mean, what, it, what a hung parliament means is Keir Starmer as Prime Minister. Yeah. I mean, it is utterly inconceivable that either the Liberal Democrats or the SNP would do anything other than say, yes, we'll make you Prime Minister and then we'll bargain afterwards. I share your bewilderment that this is insufficiently appreciated because it seems like a sort of fairly obvious fact. Um, the Conservative Party has now got to win a majority in order to stay in power. That, you know, And so therefore, when you talk to people about who's likely to win, you're often talking... To, to people who are estimating the chances of a Labour majority against the chances of the Conservative Party staying in power and thinking those things are relatively even. But when you take the chances of the Labour Party, of the Conservative Party just staying in power by winning a majority, you can see the chances are pretty small. Could I, could one, yeah. one more thing that's, that's annoyed me over the recent days. Good. Um, yeah, a rival broadcaster is obsessed with comparisons to how Tony Blair was doing. 
uh, an equivalent point in the electoral cycle. And it just could not be more different. In 1992, a famous victory for John Major, but Labour came pretty close to a hung parliament, right? So Tony Blair, post-Black Wednesday in 94, 95, 96, he didn't need to be as popular as he was. Yes, in 1996, he was doing far better than Keir Starmer's doing now. But that was the difference between being in a big majority or the enormous landslide that he ended up with. Mm. Keir Starmer does not need that. Keir Starmer just needs to be you know, a majority of one. A hung parliament, by the way, would be extraordinary compared to where Labour were in December 2019. I think that's, I think that's really interesting. The unspoken implication of all the Tory responses to the local elections, all oh, they haven't done as well as they need to, is the, the, the baseline of where we are now of... Keir Starmer falling short of a majority government, given that five years ago we weren't sure that the Labour Party was had a, had a future as a going concern. Yeah, although I always thought that was hyperbolic. Um, by the you way, did. so That's true. Uh, and, and, and Henry, Henry Henry's generous enough to say I did. So my view was that that um, the Conservative Party had been in several times, and it was always quite likely to be a swing against it. And there was clear there was a big wodge of it that was to do with um, Corbyn and to do with the with the with Brexit. It's a question of whether you think that the realignment in which Labour um, voters end up, former Labour voters end up voting for Conservative is going to last in circumstances where much of the Conservative Party isn't interested in their economic agenda uh, and it wants to go indeed in the opposite direction. Um, let, let's leave aside what's then happened, you know, with chaos, with the, with the chaos that's taken place due to other reasons that are not strategic and not and not philosophical. If you just look at the disconnect between what the Conservative Party kind of members of Parliament want to do and what the voters they acquired want to do, you could see that there was going to be a, a quite a like as large likelihood it wouldn't be able to maintain itself uh, in power beyond beyond yeah. a period even though it won a big majority i think the interesting <coughs> the main thing we've established is there's a lot of witlessness in westminster punditry <laughs> uh which can't remember anything more than about five minutes ago and always thinks that the last thing is the thing that's set in stone so the the tory majority in 2015 you know the co coalitions are going to be here forever and then the tories won a majority then that was set in stone uh, and then, uh, well, you know, the Tories are finished now because of Theresa May, and then they won a majority. And now everyone thinks, well, those red wall seats will never go back. Well, they did. You know, it was a big shot when they swung. Well, money, they always swing back the other way. Uh, um, Dan's been in touch, Danny. Dan in Paul. As a centre-right Conservative, surely Danny's politics are closer to the Lib Dems than the current Tory party position. <laughs> no, they aren't. And, um, and, uh, and there are lots of different reasons for that. Although I must admit to you that... Um, you know, there were a period. There's been a period in which the Conservative Party has definitely moved away from the position that that I have. But I take took the view um, after um, after my experience in the SDP. I was on the national executive of the SDP. Um, that uh, being in a political party, a small political party, where most people agree with you, and even then, finally, you didn't agree with everything. Um, <laughs> you you. Uh, You'd inevitably not win power. They, to turn out that there weren't uh, very many kind of Jewish sons of control engineers um, <laughs> from Hendon um, to go round uh, demographically. So you need you need yeah, to be yeah. in a coalition with people you don't agree with, and when you are, sometimes you're closer to the, them, and sometimes yeah, yeah. you're not. Um, so my view is, in the long term, the centre. I'm a, on the centre right, and sometimes you know, at the moment, the Conservative Party under Rishi Sunak has moved a little bit back towards towards my uh, position. Certainly uh, under. Liz Truss and Boris Johnson have moved away from it. Let's turn our attention to uh, what happened over the weekend. Uh, the Metropolitan Police have now expressed regret about the arrest of six protesters from the anti-monarchy group Republic ahead of the coronation. They've said they now accept that the uh, luggage straps they had were not locking on devices. 
Um, the Home Office actually sent a letter to Republic warning them not to disrupt the coronation. Danny, there's a risk that the Home Office are politicising police decisions and therefore end up becoming responsible for every Met decision? Well, I think it's it's very important that the Home Office doesn't try to intervene in operational decisions of the police. So I, I'd need to know more about exactly what it was they said and what their interactions were with the police. I think those are reasonable questions to to ask. Uh, I see the police have apologised. When you're making policing decisions, you're obviously making in real time quite difficult judgments about what someone's likely to do, and you can make mistakes. Uh, and um, if you're asking me personally whether which of those mistakes I think would have been great, it would have been to allow the coronation to have been disrupted. Um, uh, but I would rather they didn't make a mistake in either direction. Um, but I, I think if we had, if they had a, um, looked in there, seen equipment that was then used for locking on and not done anything about it and then it had been disrupted, we would have also been hugely critical of that. So I'm sympathetic to the police officers involved in that individual decision. I think it's very difficult. Um, it wasn't as if there was no protest allowed. A protest was allowed. Um, it's obviously regrettable if someone's arrested when they shouldn't have been and the police are acknowledging that. So I'm not saying you know, well done on making a mistake. I'm just being understanding about it and and pointing out um, that if they had made a mistake that had allowed the coronation to be disrupted, I think that would have been, you know, really a very sad thing for everyone. Um, and, um, you know, they had to make those, that decision in real time. I'm just glad it wasn't me that had to make it. Well, I think, I think one thing here that this um, episode speaks to is, is just the decline of goodwill towards the Met. You know, when I, when I saw them apologise, I thought, well, you know, no one is going to buy that or very few of the people involved are going to buy that. And you know, to be clear, I mean, trust from between certain communities and the Met has been uh, eroded for, for a very long time. Um, but, you know, I certainly think um, and have experience with some uh, friends, etc., you know, the, the sort of litany of scandals um, you know, over recent years in particular in the Met just, I think, mean that it has less goodwill to make mistakes and admit mistakes, which seems like a problem, though equally, you know, clearly clearly not not, not, not a problem they can solve in one episode and in, in, in one small period of time. Is there a problem just with the idea we've now got preemptive arresting on people who are carrying things that they might use to tie themselves? I mean, why can't people chain themselves to things? Well, because... Um that's why can't people organize a coronation without someone disrupting them they were disrupting it in other words um these are these are clashing and conflicting rights let's let's take someone for example deciding to shout through a theater production we've had a discussion about that uh, you obviously wouldn't want to uh, do that it's somebody's right to shout but again it's uh, everybody else's right to watch the play and those are conflicting rights and yeah. you have to and, and in my view um, I think it's perfectly reasonable for people to carry a placard and to make their uh, view known and not uh, acceptable for them to disrupt it in certain different ways what's gone on here is they judged I think and I think most people would share that view. What's happened here is they made an incorrect judgment about which of those these people were yeah, yeah, about yeah. to do. And, you know, the, the problem is that judgment is quite hard to make. And it's not as if we haven't seen quite a few attempts at serious disruption taking place at lots of different events. The Grand National, the Snooker yeah. Touch Championship, it was quite likely. You know, it's in some ways it's surprising it did not take place. I'm not saying it was a good thing, but nevertheless. Daniel Finkelstein and Henry Zeffman then, of course, you can read the stories we were discussing. Just hit the links in the podcast description and subscribe to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next, we flick the switches. Why are people going from the Tories to Labour? Here's a cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Uh, Keir Starmer is using his meeting with the Shadow Cabinet today to celebrate his gains in the local elections, but warns his top team there's still more work to be done. The hardest part, he says, lies ahead. His MPs have been well drilled in the lines to take after Labour took control of several councils across the country last week, picking up 536 new seats while the Conservatives lost more than 1,000. It is a very strong set of results that we're seeing uh, for the Labour Party and it shows that we're on course for a majority Labour government. I think these are good, solid results for the Labour Party. Is it job done? Absolutely not. Keir Starmer has changed the Labour Party uh, and earned us a hearing with the voters who turned their backs on Labour and people are turning to Labour again. That's why I say we're not complacent. We know that there is more work to do to earn people's trust and support. Yeah, they've all got the lines to take. That was Labour's National Campaign Coordinator, Shabama Mahmood, Shadow Health Minister Andrew Gwynn, and the Shadow Health Secretary, Wes Streeting. Well, Keir Starmer says that people who turned away from Labour during the Corbyn years and the Brexit years are coming back. But are they embracing Labour or just being repelled by the Tories? There's no doubt that Labour are up. But the big question has been why people who voted Conservative are now switching sides. Well, we now have the answer. In exclusive polling for this programme, YouGov have asked people who voted Tory in 2019 for their reasons for jumping to Labour. And Patrick English from YouGov is here to take us through the numbers. How did you do the survey, first of all? And then what did these former Conservative voters tell you? Yes, yeah, so we've managed to find 880 Conservative voters who voted Conservative in 2019 who now tell us that they would instead vote Labour. And we carried this poll out over a number of days to find them and asked them essentially, well, why is it that you have switched from voting the Conservative in 2019 to now telling us you would vote Labour? And the, the, the top line results make for very interesting reading. Certainly, if you're going to put a binary on it and say, is it, are they being pushed away from the Conservatives or are they being drawn to Labour? Well, the Results suggest it's very much the former. What we're picking up constantly, and we ask them to sort of tell us in our in their own words, and then we categorise the responses according to themes, the common themes we were pointing out. And the most common thing that we found was that the Conservatives are doing a bad job. That was 30% of 
people who have switched away from the conservative Labour were telling us that. They kind of go down the list. It looks very similar among those top categories. A need for change. No longer trust the Conservative Party. One in ten told us that. Voting Labour is the only way of getting rid of the Conservatives. And if you go down and you tot up everything that's kind of to do with negative responses to the Conservatives, well, that's over three quarters of people are picking that. And how about options in support of Labour? Things like, well, I agree with Labour's policies. Labour are in touch with the ordinary people. That's just a quarter. So the balance is very much toward people going away from the Conservatives, not necessarily being drawn toward Labour. I suppose in some way, uh, being repelled by the government of the day is the sort of gateway drug, which means you mm -hmm. go and try out other, other parties. Is it possible for the Labour Party to turn those I don't like the Tories people into I love the Labour Party people? Exactly, exactly. As you said, part of the opposition's mission is is very much to convince voters that the government aren't fit for purpose. And if we look down these results with probably about 18 months to go to a general election, you'd say the Labour Party are doing a very good job at that. But however, as you suggest, that's kind of only half of the cause. And that means that the, the Labour vote intention uh, lead, which we have seen narrowing a little bit in recent months, is very, very fragile. If for some reason there were a lot of these voters decided, well, actually, I don't mind the Conservatives so much anymore. Rishi Sunak has steadied the ship and, you know, maybe inflation is coming down. Labour could very quickly see that lead evaporate. So it's key for them to turn a lot of those voters, as you say, who are currently being repelled from the Conservatives, into voting for Labour. And that's going to have to be probably focused around some more concrete offerings, some more visions about what's happening there, ideas for the Britain that they want to see to deal with the crises that the ordinary British voter sees in their life right now. And that's, let's be honest, mostly the cost of living crisis and the fact the NHS seems to be on the brink of collapse. So those are Labour's challenges and they're not easy ones to answer. Patrick English from YouGov, thank you for taking th us through those numbers. Well, regular listeners will not be surprised that the big poll leads that Labour enjoy over the Tories are not matched by enthusiasm for Labour among voters. Each month, we carry out a focus group on Times Radio, exactly the same as those carried out by Downing Street and all the other political parties. The panels are selected by an independent market research company for us, and the groups are chaired by former number 10 pollster James Johnson. Yeah, well, I think certainly there's no doubt that Labour had a good night at the local elections last week. It's no, there's no doubt that they've got a good lead in the polls. Um, but when you dig deeper into that, like we do on our uh, Times Radio focus group every every month, Matt, you see that people are not really sort of feeling uh, as positive about Keir Starmer as perhaps they did about Tony Blair back in the 90s. Now, look, maybe they don't need to. Maybe that's OK. Maybe he can get into power on a shrug. But if we are asking about that key question, can the polls narrow any further between now and the next general election, seems to suggest perhaps there is a little bit more movement there as they don't necessarily feel enamoured by the Labour leader and the party itself. OK, let's listen to some of them. First of all, this is actually from last month, only from April. This is uh, a group who were undecided voters, so people who, who voted Conservative or Labour last time around, now say they're undecided. This is what they had to say about Keir Starmer. Let Angela take the reins. Stop looking at everything in hindsight and start showing what you want to do for the future. Yeah, I think that's a brilliant one. Um, yeah, look to, look to the future. Never mind what's happened in the past. Look to the future and, you know, get things sorted out. Be more Angela. Um, for the people's sake, please try harder. Yeah, I don't know, Key. I don't know what you'll have to do to, to make me want, want, want you to be Prime Minister. And what was so interesting about that, James, was they're almost pleading with Keir Starmer to be better. Yeah, there's there's certainly an appetite out there for uh, him to. They want 
they want a good leader. They want a strong leader, and that's often what they're referring to. You know, they say the words believable, strong. You know, even we always get a, a lot have some oomph. You know, they want. That's why they like Angela Rayner. They feel like she stands up for what she believes, and they don't necessarily feel, feel that about Keir Starmer. Look, I'm sure some people listen to this are absolutely infuriated with us, Matt, for playing these negative clips of Keir Starmer when you know he apparently did so well in the local elections last week. But the thing is, is that you can you can do both things. You could vote Labour in the local elections but still have worries about Keir Starmer on the national level. And the local elections haven't changed that. And the big question now is whether that gap narrows. And there's a lot of hesitancy out, hesitations about, uh, out there about him. That, that local elections vote, it was not really a vote about the main party leaders. Um, of course, national issues have an effect. We did a poll last year after the local elections that Boris Johnson was Prime Minister for, and he was quite central to the vote. Um, people did say that they voted because of Boris Johnson. There's a lot less of that this, this time round. It's almost like Labour's victory in the local elections was almost as little to do with Keir Starmer as you could imagine. The big question is, can they maintain that going into a general election where he really will be on the ballot? And I know some people will be shouting at us, James, and saying, ah, oh, but if they're undecided, who could possibly be undecided when everything is going so badly wrong? So here is a clip from when we did a focus group in February of people who had switched. They were people who voted Conservative in 2019 and then said that they were going to vote Labour. So they, they were already in the, uh, the Labour column. So let's just take a listen to what they had to say about Keir Starmer. I do know that he wants to tackle inequality and justice, but him personally, I don't really know that well. Wooden turncoat. He always makes me think of a wooden soldier. And turncoat because I think he had a number of pledges and then he went back on them. Weak, whiny, annoying, too idealistic. Everything that the Conservatives are saying, he just stands up and it's anything to be against them. I don't trust him. They've managed to make Labour seem to like, appeal to more people. I think I think that's because Conservatives did so badly, though, rather than Labour actually doing anything different. And it's interesting, James, Keir Starmer speaking to uh, the Shadow Cabinet this morning, saying uh, there's understandably a lot of scepticism about politics out there, and we need to go from reassurance to hope. And we shouldn't, pl- un- you know, we shouldn't underplay the strides that Keir Starmer has made to make the, the Labour Party uh, into a party of contention this time around. It could have been a two-term thing. He's got the reassurance under his belt. Some people are now uh, willing to consider or cast their ballot for Labour. But even he says that there's a challenge to go from reassurance to hope, which is clearly a bit of what we were getting there. Yeah, and look, is that, uh, you know, he's done very well in turning the party around from 2019. Even from 2021, in those local elections, on that basis, the Conservatives could have even been in line to increase their majority at the next general election. So he's certainly uh, done something, but it's sort of turned the, turned the Labour Party from something sort of that's a bit of food that's very badly off that you wouldn't possibly touch to something that's sort of a little bit better but it still doesn't look very moorish to the voter and I think they now need to have that positive vision and that sense of well what's going to come next Uh, and that's what I think is going to be the battle of the next election it is going to be a change election and it's going to be up to the Conservatives and Labour to define themselves as the bringers of change. Has whether deliberately or inadvertently and Labour people tell you it's deliberate their three three part plan it was to clear up after Jeremy Corbyn, get people listening again, and then you sort of set out your message and secure the win. He's got, what, a year, 18 months to do that. That's about the right length of time, isn't it? If you sort of start that process now, everyone's now talking about the possibility of a Labour government, and obviously there's challenges with that as well, because then you start getting trickier questions you might have done otherwise. Um, 
But actually, that a year, eighteen months is probably the right length of time, isn't it, for an opposition to to really build on what they've done in the last couple of years? I'm not sure I fully agree with that, Matt. I think I think there is more they can do, and I do think that the next eighteen months is is you know up for grabs from for Labour and the Conservatives. Um, but this is the point where opinions start to settle a little, and you know historically, if we go back to those local elections. An opposition party tends to need more than a seven-point lead, which we saw in the Sky uh, national equivalent vote projection. Uh, so I don't think they do have a huge amount of time to turn it around. I remember Keir Starmer, I remember Labour uh, um, commentators at the start of this parliamentary term said it's going to be a two-term mission to turn this around from its dire uh, prospects. Maybe they can shorten that. But I think based on everything that you saw in the locals and we saw in the polling, I think we're probably heading more towards Labour nearly getting there rather than completely getting over the line and getting that majority government. It was James Johnson from JL Partners, the former number 10 pollster who runs our monthly Times radio focus groups. We'll have uh, one of those uh, in a couple of weeks' time. We've been speaking about Labour after success at the last week's local elections. Someone pick up over 500 extra council seats. But can they hold on to those votes? Polling carried out by YouGov of voters who switched from Conservative to Labour for this programme shows 30% only did so because the Tories are doing a bad job. 15% just want a change of government. 11% no longer trust the Tories. Just 8% think Labour are the best alternative. We heard from James Johnson, uh, number 10 pollster, a moment ago. But what does Keir Starmer actually plan to do? Well, Keir Starmer spoke to The Times' Henry Zeffman last month about how he's got the party back into contention. That has required an absolute focus, not being blown off course by, you know, the very many um, helpful and unhelpful comments from others. Um, a complete ruthlessness. We knew what we had to do with the General Secretary. We knew, you know, you know the Scotland, for example, now Sturgeon's gone, that we may have an opportunity to win votes. But frankly, if we hadn't changed the um, leader in Scotland two years ago, uh, we would be at base camp rather than in a position to take advantage of that. Um, we had to take decision in relation to Jeremy. So the absolute focus, a ruthlessness, but now, um, now very much gunning for the finish. So gunning for the finish. In that interview, Keir Starmer insisted he's got a three-stage plan. It was to change the Labour Party, expose the failings of the government, and nobody calls the if not them, then why us test, persuading people to proactively vote for Labour. Well, I asked Stephen Bush, Associate Editor of the Financial Times and long-term Labour watcher, how Starmer was doing on those three stages. He's sort of on stage two and a half, as it were, right? In that we, we've just had a pretty good indication that if the historical and political trends in the next 18 months are what they have been in the past, he will get into Downing Street in one way or another. But of course, there's quite a big difference between getting in where you have a decent-sized majority, you can actually implement stuff, and one in which you are continually sandwiched between... I mean, actually, I was about to say himself and another party. I mean, actually, realistically, let's be honest here... um, if you're Keir Starmer, you'd much rather be dependent on the Liberal Democrats in your own left flank. Um, <laughs> so in, in some ways, right, the, this kind of nightmare scenario of, oh dear, what if he has to do a deal with Ed Davey? Actually, what we mean is, oh dear, what if he has to do a deal with John McDonnell? Um, so he, he needs to get a big enough majority that he is out from under his own left flank. Uh, and on that metric, I would say he's not doing quite so well uh we've seen i mean not just we've seen in the elections but i think you know you know in the focus groups on this program of the week when we're going around the country talking to voters we can see that broadly speaking people have quite a transactional relationship 
with the Labour Party at the moment. They think the Conservative government is tired and knackered and they're looking at Labour and they go, OK, well, you'll do. Uh, and so he needs his, his next thing is he needs to find a way of, of making people feel a little bit more enthusiastic about the about the Labour Party, um, because that is surely how he's going to get that extra boost to get him out from under uh, having to do all sorts of deals within his own party and with other parties. And you and I have uh, disagreed a bit in the past few years about when he needs to do that. Does he need to lay out more policy? Is he keeping his powder dry or does he have no powder? Do you think Keir Starmer has it in him to generate that sort of... Because it's an interesting point you make. The base, he's, you know, he's on course basically to become Prime Minister, but in order to get the... It's the difference, maybe it's probably the difference between John Smith and Tony Blair. That extra bit of stardust, or whatever you call it, X-factor, appeal, excitement, to get, you know, actually a decent-sized working majority. Do you think he's got that? So I'm very aware that in if, we'd, if after the 2019 election we'd, you'd ask me who's going to be the next Labour leader, I'd go, it'd be Emily Thornbury. <laughs> uh, and I've gone, and this is a, you know, this is a situation where we're looking at a, an, at least another election to recover. And so, having systematically underrated Keir Starmer at the par- start of the Parliament, I'm concerned that I'm about to do it a third time, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> saying, uh, yes, I don't think that he needs to have set out concrete policies yet, but we ought to have more of a sense of what he's about. Right? It's not like there was ever a point where David Cameron explicitly gave a speech where he went. I hear you, you want to keep the social liberalism of New Labour, but you'd like a bit more money for yourself. And there was no point where Tony Blair went, I hear you, Thatcherism works, but we're going to keep it and have a slightly larger state on top. But basically, at this point in their respective leaderships, we knew that was what they were actually about. And we don't know what Keir Starmer is actually about in that way. And I suspect that a big part of why that is is he himself doesn't quite know what he's about in that way because he's had this deeply weird political apprenticeship right where he's <laughs> you know kind of was only elected five years in a in a period in which right, the, the labor party has not been a functional organization for any of those or any of those years uh you know basically the only point in which we would say oh dealing with the labor party is like what it was uh, at the start of our journalistic careers has been the last year and a bit. Yeah. So I just think he's never got, he's kind of like this maladapted organism, which is doing very well given the circumstances. But is he ever going to have that moment where we go, oh yeah, that's what a kiss, what, that's what Keir Starmer is about. That's what, because in some ways, um, the issue isn't that they don't have, you know, retail policies or sort of, you know, clear set of, 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 you know, things that you can hold in your hand about what a Labour government is. It's that we don't have any, sort of sense of what they're about and that sense which can only come from the leader and is so important to how all organizations run themselves um yeah if he doesn't have it now i mean can anyone think of it of any leaders of any organizations whether it's you know a paper a charity a business who has been unable to exude that sense of mission in year one who in year three has suddenly done it yeah, i yeah. can't think of any and the flip side, and going back to the the poll of asking Conservative voters uh, from 2019 why they're now about Labour, 30%, the, by far the biggest chunk, say the Conservatives are doing a bad job, which does leave open the possibility that if Rishi Sunak persuades some of those people that he's now doing an OK job, they might switch back. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, right, the, the Labour Party's poll rating throughout this Parliament has been the most thermostatic indicator out there, right? You know, 
vaccine rollout going well, Labour poll, Labour does badly. You know, cost of living starts to bite, Labour starts to do better. Conservative Party elects Liz Truss, Labour Party goes through the roof. So because this is a highly contingent poll lead, it is therefore a vulnerable poll lead to the Conservatives doing better. I suppose the, the things which I found striking about the local election, actually broadly speaking, the thing that Rishi Sunak has not fixed, which I sort of thought he might a bit, is the incredible willingness of Labour voters, Liberal Democrat voters and Green voters to vote tactically for one another in their respective fights. So I think we might have passed the point where people just go, yeah, this government's a bit tired, it needs to go. So that may be baked in. And of course, government's very difficult and there are only 18 months left maximum. Yeah. So they might not have any time to to eat, eat into that 30%. But those are all things that are very much outside the Labour Party's control. And it's not a great place to be in, in terms of one's, you know, if I, if I were a, a Labour person, I wouldn't be sleeping all that well in safe and, you know, in the knowledge that um, my opinion poll lead is an artefact of the Conservatives making mistakes. And admittedly, this is quite a big step forward for them. Them having finally appointed an appointable leader, right? Yeah. This is the first time, basically, in a decade that when you've gone around the country, there hasn't been active fear of the Labour leader. Um, but is not having active fear and the government being a bit tired enough to win? Maybe given the various crises the government faces, but you wouldn't, yeah, it's not how you would want to fight an election campaign in their shoes. Stephen Bushter, Associate Editor of the Financial Times. Well, what about if you are fighting a campaign uh, in their shoes? Gareth Snell is the former Labour MP for Stoke-on-Trent Central. He lost his seat in 2019, but he's standing again and joins me now. Hi, Gareth. Hello, Matthew. Uh, so when you're out and about knocking on doors, are people returning to Labour because they love Keir Starmer or because they hate Rishi Sunak? I think they're returning to Labour because they see the Labour Party now as a credible and relevant party that understands the challenges that we are facing as a country and also are willing to give us a listen in terms of saying, well, here's how we think we can solve those challenges, which is a far cry from where we were in 2019, where people simply weren't interested in what we had to say. Doors were slammed in my face and we were told that uh, nothing we had to offer was of interest. So people are interested in what you have to say, but do they... Do they know what the Labour Party is all about now? Yeah, so in, in Stoke-on-Trent, we've been definitely getting more people who are aware about what we are, what we want to do locally, which is why I think we had such a great set of local results here um, last week. But also, um, they do understand that you know that, that, that Rachel Reeves wants to make sure that we have a you know decent economy where we're not spending more money than we can afford. I think they understand that. You know, West Streeting wants to see uh, waiting lists come down, where they understand that the Labour Party wants to get tough on the cause of the crime and deal with the uh, consequences of antisocial behaviour in our communities. But we are still 18 months out from a general election. I don't think it's unreasonable to still have uh, a few areas where the Labour Party wants to firm up our policy offer and where we need to be offering some greater clarity around what it is we were doing government. Um, but, you know, if, if you had spoken to me, you know, back in 2020 after our disastrous election in May 2019 and said, look, not only would we be talking about, you know, winning back seats like Stoke-on-Trent North and Newcastle on the line as well as Stoke-on-Trent Central, but actually talking about the prospect of a Labour majority government, I wouldn't have believed you. The fact that we are where we are today is is testament to 
the work that Keir and David Evans and the whole Shadow Cabinet have done to turn us around, but also to the thousands of activists who have gone out and knocked on doors and said, look, actually, the Labour Party is a change beast. We do want to listen. We do want to act. We do want to go back to our traditional values. Uh, and that, I think, is paying off dividends. And we saw that last Thursday. But if, um, just finally, in the YouGov polling uh, for this programme, they've asked people who switched from uh, Conservative in 2019 to Labour now. The biggest group of them, 30%, say the reason for their switch is the Conservatives are doing a bad job. Isn't there a risk if the Conservatives start doing a good job again, the prospect of Keir Starmer becoming Prime Minister starts looking less certain? Well, look, I mean, I, th I think it's fair to say that the reason why some of those people voted uh, for the Conservatives in the first place was they looked at a Labour Party that was so different from a Labour Party that they'd recognised and respected that, that we almost forced some of them into the hands of the Conservative Party. So the fact that some of them are coming back to us with trepidation, I don't think is um, unnecessarily to be concerned about. We've still got a lot of work to do to convince people that we have changed enough to form a government. You know, we are confident, but we are not complacent. And I think the when I am door knocking in Stoke-on-Trent, as I said, people want to know what we want to do. They, they are willing to have a conversation, engage with us, and they don't always agree with everything that we are, we are, we're offering. But they also recognise that we are offering something as an alternative to the Conservatives. We're not simply saying we're less bad than the other guys, so please vote for us. Yeah. And yeah, if 30% of the people in your focus group are saying that they think the Conservatives are doing a bad job and that's why they switched to us, I'm glad they've switched to the Labour Party, but I am clear, and I think the Labour Party in Keir is, is that we want them to vote for us because they see us as the best option, not the least worst option. Gareth Snell, really good to speak to you and get your uh, insight on that. Gareth Snell there, uh, former Labour MP for Stoke-on-Trent Central and standing again after losing his seat there in 2019. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the podcast. Thank you to all of my guests. Don't forget to leave a review like Uncle Mania did on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you get your podcast from, just because it's nice to hear from you. Or you can email me, matt at times.radio, if you want to complain. Uh, but for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.